Welcome to uh, Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a journalist. I've got a newsletter called Single Minded that this is a um, like a cousin of, I guess, some sort of incestuous, weird relationship. Let's call it cousins. Uh, I co-host a podcast called Blocked and Reported. I wrote a book called The Quick Fix. And usually I just uh, take your questions, but first give a little spiel and you can ask about the spiel or you can ask whatever whatever you want. I want to talk a little bit about the critical race theory fight, all these state bills. There are many of them. I just did a thing about this uh, paywall for my newsletter, but I, I thought this conversation should spill out in the open a little bit. It is surprising to me how many people don't realize what a waste of time spectacle this entire thing is. And I think this is one of those cases where everyone involved is just a little bit full of shit and just making the country worse. I mean, the first thing to note is that the laws are so poorly written in so many cases that they could be interpreted a million different ways. I looked into some of them for this article I wrote. This one in Wisconsin that everyone was freaking about in the fall, the language is something like um, it, it bans like teaching sex stereotyping and then it gives a bunch of examples. And if you read it, it's just... You could make like a good case that you wouldn't even be able to allowed to teach about affirmative action, like the case for affirmative action, because of the language about racial preferences. Uh, and it, this was a telling example because in the fall, all these outlets reported that this bill banned a bunch of words like structural racism. It didn't do that. The bill's architect, this guy, uh, state rep Witchkers, I think is his name or how to pronounce his name, he, he did separate testimony saying these are terms that may be banned. But then every all these liberal outlets said, yeah, it's going to ban all these terms. They won't be able to talk about racism. The level of just like stupidity and knee-jerk reaction and bad reporting and bad faith arguments on all sides of this is exhausting. Critical race theory itself is a um, – it's just a moving target. It's like this big sort of baggy – intellectual movement with some parts that are pretty good, some parts that are very silly. And even if you wanted to ban the whole thing in K-12 schools, it, it would be a hard thing to do because it's all these different things. And I think a lot of the time, people who are mad about the cutting edge generation of diversity trainings, which tend to be extremely stupid, and I think in many cases cause more harm than good, they're like, oh, that's critical race theory. That's critical race theory. That's what we want to ban. So, But the laws often don't ban that. Sometimes they ban like a little bit off the edges because they'll ban forcing people to, you know, state that uh, members of certain groups aren't as good or whatever. But that's already you can't do that under the law. You already can't force students to profess a belief. Um, I should add that you should feel free to jump in the queue if you want to. Uh, don't hesitate. <clears throat> I'll be done with my rant soon. Um, so. The liberal reporting on this, though, is just it, – it seems designed to freak people out. Like if you read the reporting on the Mississippi one, you would have thought that they were really on the verge of banning any discussion of racism whatsoever, which just wasn't the case. That was one of the laws that, that banned teachers from um, forcing students to say one race is better than another or forcing them to believe that, which usually doesn't happen. Like there's a subset of race trainings outside of K-12 settings that do do stuff like that, and that's messed up. But – I think a part of this, which is underreported, is that there are some conservatives who are just mad that kids are taught about racism. This is a longstanding conservative gripe that the liberal education system sort of shits all over America and, and doesn't treat us as a glorious, wonderful place. And I think 
maybe two or three iterations ago of the culture war are now getting sucked into this new CRT thing. But it's really just the same thing over and over and over again. If you read a little bit about the history of fights over textbooks and fights over school boards, we really do fight the same fights over and over again. I think that's part of what's happening. Um, I guess it would one way to improve the situation would just be for people to be a little bit more specific about what it is in CRT they want banned because – as far as I see it, like CRT does include some useful uh, concepts, like the idea that you could have you could have colorblind laws that are still basically uh, racially discrepant. So if you have certain laws about um, you know what you can pull drivers over for or how you can find people, those kinds of laws really could hurt certain populations more, and they've been often used to target those populations. That's sort of like the classic Michelle Alexander argument, which I think, you know, I'm sure if I reread her book, which I last read 10 or 12 years ago, I'd have some qualms and I'd push back on some stuff. But like, that's pretty mainstream stuff that is considered within critical race theory. Do you want to ban that? Or is it Robin D'Angelo trainings you're mad at? If you want to ban Robin D'Angelo trainings, I don't, I just don't care that much. So anyway, I have a little bit more to say. I'll take uh, Ben's call first and we'll go from there. Ben, what is up? Ben, you're going to have to hit unmute. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I've been a long-time fan and subscriber of your work. Thanks thank for you. taking the call. Um, you know, I sorry to start this off in the meta direction, but it's, it's just odd that it seems to me that um, what you have is the political factions around this issue, both sort of seeking to embellish the extent to which they are under siege or relatively powerless yes. within this culture war. And it's sort of ironic, especially if you look at things with the power analysis, how uh, there's such a re repeated instinct to sort of embellish the extent of powerlessness and, and oppression. Perhaps that's connected to um, the different, you know, elements of politics is, when you have a fundraising effort versus a governing or electoral campaign effort. So just my thought, sorry to start us off. So Brown. No, no, no. I, I think that's an interesting point because <laughs> it's also easy to convince people they are under siege because if you're a parent somewhere and you see that teachers in your district are being taught the sorts of bizarre bullshit that does often come out of education schools uh, or that that's worked its way into a training. And that is a thing that's happened. This is a good point Freddie DeBoer has made. Critical race theory is not generally taught to K-12 students, but there is weird stuff slipping into teacher trainings, race trainings. From a parent's point of view, I understand how that could make you feel powerless. Um, it's complicated because of, we don't have a direct democracy when it comes to education where parents get to like vote on everything their kids are taught. Public education is obviously a compromise. So you feel powerless. You might feel powerless that way. But there's also this thing that a lot of liberal commentators do um, where they sort of overestimate the effects of these laws or the probability that a state can actually ban the teaching of racism, which in my understanding is pretty unlikely. Like I think we should be on guard against this stuff and Jeffrey Sachs, who I'm interviewing tomorrow for the podcast, I think is a really good voice on this stuff. And he's pointed out that it doesn't you don't need the law the letter of the law to ban something. You need to create enough doubt in the minds of administrators or teachers that they'll be like, Oh, I'm just not touching that subject which is something we see mm -hmm. happen all the time in terms of like informal bans of like, oh just don't go near that subject, not worth it. So 
There's a lot going on, but I, I think you're absolutely right that every every side wants to play itself as being victimized by bigger, more powerful forces at the moment. Yeah, and I and I wonder just on, on the level of journalism whether that you know embellishing the 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 sense of being under siege is you know tied to just driving engagement at a visceral emotional level and making people feel afraid. It's like you know. If you read one piece that makes you feel afraid and then one piece that makes you feel ambivalent and then one piece that makes you feel a little bit better, that's three engagements. Yeah. So if you start the cycle with fear, uh, siege mentality, then you can sort of spin off, you know, in a, in a uh, increasingly conciliatory direction. Let me let me just read three sentences Jeffrey Sack sent me and people should check him out online. He's easy to find on Twitter. Uh, this is an email I included in my newsletter. For opponents of the bills, the same logic applies in reverse. Liberal content mongers like Occupy Democrats know that they'll get far more clicks if they call HB 2113, uh, that's the Mississippi one, I think, a quote-unquote ban on CRT. Caution and precision do not sell. The collapse of basic due diligence at the Associated, Associated Press, that was another major culprit here, is less ex- ex- explicable but even more disheartening. I don't know if it is basic illiteracy or the belief that journalism works best when it makes people mad. Whatever the reason, it's getting worse. It sounds like that's a version of what you're saying, and I I agree completely. I also think a lot of liberal outlets, especially with Trump out of the picture, need to double down on this idea that we are like on the verge of a white supremacist takeover. And you saw some of this in the coverage of the um, Loudoun County and the Virginia gubernatorial race. And if I sound tired, it's because I am. Anyway, thank you, Ben. I appreciate it. Matt, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Um, I have a question about uh, the much less controversial topic of uh, cancel culture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, always a, a favorite. Um, so I, I know a lot of the of blogs and reported and, and your writing uh, deals with um, like the state of uh, journalism as an institution and, and how it's how it seems to be, at least in some respects, failing or declining, um, becoming more clickbaity, becoming less accurate, all that. Um, and so I'm, what I'm interested in is I know you and Katie are very, because you have, it seems like you care about, you know, this idea of canceling, cancel culture, as nebulous as a term it, it is, um, you're very careful to, to not um, sort of try to cancel the cancelers, so to, so to speak. Um, but it seems like what I'm interested in, in, and sorry, this is so long winded, but when you see media stories that you think are, are highly inaccurate and not just inaccurate due to matters of opinion, but, you know, due to like clearly lacking some kind of, uh, unethical reporting, which is maybe not following up with sources, not, not corroborating things. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know all the criteria, but I'm sure that as a journalist, like you learn like what the practices are, what you should go through. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, is there is there a um, a standard that you would set like for yourself, where like if something seems so egregious, you'd be comfortable saying like someone should be punished for this in some way, not fired. And I don't think this would count as can- like cancellation even necessarily, but you know, where you'd be like, look like this clearly shows journalistic, um, like lack of ethics or, or just lack of like, you know, doing your job. Um, yeah. 
because I think there's a tough. Uh, You're basically asking when I would be comfortable, quote unquote, canceling someone. But not well, yeah. But I don't think it would necessarily count as canceling because it would a be based on some kind of objective criteria. Like if someone's misreporting the facts, it's not. Yeah. I think part of the 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 difficulty is that cancellation is such a nebulous term. But I think if you like the generally accepted uh, definition would not include someone being fired for like being bad at their job, right? Yeah. Well, so, okay. So last year I, I a couple times went sort of long and long winded because I saw the whole youth gender dysphoria thing is a subject I, I know a fair amount about. And there was, uh, there were articles in foreign policy and science-based medicine, science-based should now be in scare quotes about this stuff that was just absolutely egregious. And I wrote, Law, I got. I just. I get obsessed with random shit over the course of the year, and I wrote long takedowns, just trying to highlight every one of the myriad mistakes these authors made on that subject. And I think if journalism were functioning more properly, I don't want them driven out of journalism. But I, I would hope that there's some internal mechanisms that act as quality control that make it so that there's like agreed upon facts, and editors are like, okay, this person maybe is not great on this subject unless they can get a lot better informed on it. That that doesn't happen because everything's so balkanized. And as soon as anyone criticizes an article making a quote-unquote good point, they're quote-unquote bad. So one of the science-based medicine authors who is truly crazy and I think a really irresponsible clinician, she was subs- they were subsequent, subsequently quoted in the New York Times as an expert. So right. um, I do think certain people – like I wish we – had enough of a shared reality that we could say, yeah, that person really fucked that up. But I found even on really basic matters of facts, people will double down and circle the wagons and retreat back into their, their tribe's warm embrace. And that's really worrisome for journalism. In the case of the foreign policy article, the editor just sort of started openly bashing me on Twitter. And I, I don't want to make it sound like I've hurt feelings <laughs> or whatever, but my point is that that's really unprofessional. And I had to go to the editor-in-chief or, or the managing editor or whatever, explain the situation to him. Subsequently, they made five corrections based on the stuff I said after calling me transphobic. So that's how hard it is to get corrections right now. So anyway, I'm with, I'm with you. Whatever's going on isn't working. I just would, except in the most egregious cases, I wouldn't want someone to then like not really be able to make a living in journalism or, or to be shamed out of the profession or anything. Oh yeah, and I mean that. I think that's another difference between like what we're talking about and what you know, quote unquote, cancellation is. Right? That if you say someone is like not doing their job as a reporter, you're not, you're not, I'm not making the statement that they should never be given the chance to to do something as a reporter either. Even if you say that like in this instance that this was like a severe enough break from from norms or, or lack of ability to their job that would I'm, I'm sure if 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 it ever came to something like that like all of us are in agreement that you would never like blacklist someone or try to or shame another employer for yeah but there, there has to be some level of accountability of saying that, yeah. this person messed up on this beat so they should you know do better or find another beat um exactly and, yeah anyway i think we're in agreement yep thanks jesse thanks matt you sorry and what's up How's it going, Jesse? I'm good. How are you? Uh can't complain. Well, I could, but I won't. <laughs> I won't bore you with with the, the complaints of my life. Anyway, not to to drag this back to to the CRT issue. No, um, no, I'm happy to it's talk about that. <laughs> it's interesting to me because, in some ways, this reminds me of the the '90s and aughts um, liberal attempts to ban assault weapons, where they sort of had a same similar problem, where they ran into definitional issues and conservatives. 
and the gun rights lobby would roll their eyes and be like, okay, well, how do you define a quote unquote assault weapon? And they just had to go through this laundry list of mostly cosmetic aspects of firearms to, to call them a quote unquote assault weapon. Um, and the, and I think you've touched on this, the, the overall problem I think is, is one of negative partisanship, right? Where these bills are about banning something they're against something, but there's not, there's not a, a good sense of what the education is supposed to be for. I mean, the, the, the discussion is so disingenuous on so on in a number of respects in that, you know, it's it's perfectly fine for state legislatures to determine what's in K through 12 curricula. Right. That this liberal pearl clutching over legislatures, you know, uh, um, interfering in state curricula. I mean, California just passed a law requiring ethnic studies. I mean, is that you know, a state legislature interfering in, in local school curricula. It is, but of course that fits with liberals prior. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother them. Well, people are Um, very bad faith about like what is and isn't allowed in terms of quote interference. I mean, it almost goes back to the idea of like activist judges as though either side doesn't like activist judges that rule in their favor. Right. Exactly. And that's like Mark Joseph Stern at Slate saying the other day, like, you know, Oh, the, the, you know, the Republicans can't get anti-affirmative action passed through the the legislature, so they have to resort to the judges. And it's like, what would you say about Obergefell? Yeah, exactly. All, right. It all depends on whose ox is being gored, and it's, so it's just it's just negative partisanship all the way down. But the that's just so unhealthy. I think I think the conservatives would be better if they were able to offer, you know this is what we want. Our, these are some of the principles, affirmative principles that we want our students when they graduate from high school to be able to articulate, to be able to articulate sort of the positive notions of American citizenship, right? Yeah. About the Declaration of Independence, about the Constitution, about, you know, the, the post-Civil War amendments, but also to be able to articulate the ways in which the United States have, has not lived up to those ideals over time. So to be able to give this sort of nuanced account of American history, as opposed to the, you know, rah, rah, wrap yourself in the flag account or the, the critical race theory account, which I think, I think you're right to describe it in the way you do as sort of this amorphous blob, which makes it so difficult to write a, a bill against it. But the core at its core, I think when it comes comes down to is that racism is sort of endemic in everything and then the, the yeah. game becomes how to how to spot the racism yeah i mean a lot of that makes sense to me I, one thing i'm curious about is whether the divides over what kids should be taught are as big as you would think if you focus just on twitter or perhaps more importantly just on the type of parent who will show up and cause a ruckus at a school board meeting because this is the classic, because there are school board meetings, and this is something where you can find your local person to pressure and pressure them, and at least have the illusion of control over it. This is a classic example of where preference intensity could really skew things. So, you could have ninety-five percent of the population in broad agreement that, yeah, we should teach about racism. We also shouldn't overstate the idea of America being a hellhole. We should tell positive stories about immigration. But if the five percent who feel very strongly either far left or far right ideas, I, I think they could really have a, a pernicious gravitational pull on the conversation. I'm wondering whether and to what extent that's happening. And, and if the media incentives are to make it sound like half of America hates the other half, when in a lot of areas there really is 
I'm not saying there's like total agreement between the average Republican and average Democratic parent, but there's probably not as much disagreement as. No, I, I, I very much agree with that. I think, you know, in so many instances, the extremists are sort of in charge of of the discourse. And that just <laughs> that's not good for anybody. But it's also interesting to me and that this is hardly a, you know, novel observation. But the 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 left sort of took on the long march through the educational institutions and now, you know, completely control the high ground there. You know, I mean, the schools of education, from what I can tell, are seriously awash in this kind of critical theory, not just critical race theory, but all the critical theories, whereas the the right, the conservatives focus their attention on the judiciary and state legislatures. And yep. sort of, and they each they each succeeded, but now each is looking at the other and going, God damn it, why didn't why didn't we get there as well? Yeah. And it just yeah. A lot of America's dysfunction comes down to the fact that liberals really do control a lot of the cultural and educational levers and then conservatives control a lot of the lower branches of government, including states that can make funding decisions um, when it comes to education. So, yeah, we're pretty screwed on that note. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Sorry. Patrick, what's up? Hey, Jesse. I hope you're having a good um, morning, afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you. Uh, so I just kind of – first, I, will, I guess I'll preface it by giving a little background about myself and then kind of talking about the issue. So I'm an attorney for a local government, so I have some experience with kind of reviewing laws, that kind of thing. And in terms of the CRT thing, I guess my perspective on it would be, well, one, there's – always a kind of idea that if you're a lawmaker, you need to do something. So it actually looks like you're doing something. So some of these kind of bills that are being passed out that are quote unquote anti CRT that don't necessarily have anything to do with CRT, they kind of reek of like, well, my constituents are concerned about this. So I need to pass it, even though it's not really addressing kind of underlying concerns or going to result in anything. And I think the other thing is, especially with some of the more uh, I guess I would call them poisonous bills for what they could do. I guess my concern would be what the actual schools kind of teach at this time. Like I know there's concern for Florida and like other places, but I don't know how much CRT pedagogy has really leaked into the schools. Uh, if it's something that was actually a concern that they're fighting about, I can kind of see it. But right now, if it's not going to result in any kind of change in the school curriculum, I don't necessarily see it being a problem until at which point, uh, Florida goes woke and uh, gets school boards who try to deal with it, in which case they have to fight it down the line, which yeah. legitimate problem. But I just don't know enough about their problems right now to see it uh, being kind of an issue for the schools as it is right now. Yeah, I suppose it could be for individual teachers who want to teach subject matter, but that's kind of a different thing from the entire school curriculum, which the teachers would have to get approved by their supervisors anyways. I think – one of concern, I guess my kind of more concern is about the media kind of stuff about this and how everyone's reacting to it because there's a certain amount of catastrophizing that's happening about it that is just really not good and it's leading to the kind of fomenting we're on a civil uh, civil war path that I just don't like. Yeah, I mean that all makes sense to me. My 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 main thing is in reading these laws, they're just they're so poorly written and often too broadly written that they can only do bad things and they can only have a chilling effect and not look if it, if it were the case that fourth graders were being taught white fragility, which is just in terms of left of center, 
books about race. Like you just don't get it's a horrible book. And it's, it really has pernicious ideas. People roll their eyes, but it's like we should criticize bad ideas that are influential, even if they're on our side. And Katie and I have done that. It's it's in the vast majority of cases, nothing like that is happening. Rather, there's a complicated situation where ed schools do try to influence curricula and and there are race trainings for teachers that often include some pretty dumb ideas, but that's a pretty far cry from saying kids are being taught X or Y or Z. And I think in multiple states, when conservatives are asked, give me an example of this being taught in schools, they can't come up with anything. That doesn't mean that it's not like creeping around at the edges, but I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't want to pass bills that make teachers and administrators lives harder just so pe- like Republican state reps can um, score points among their constituents. Well, no, I completely agree with that. There's no point in passing a law that doesn't do anything because it's a waste of time and taxpayer money. I guess my concern is that we're worried about the harm of a bill. But if it's going to be in a school district where there's no kind of CRT stuff, I guess you can't really have a chilling effect on something that isn't happening. Does that make sense? Well, it does, except that the way some of them are written for like like the Wisconsin one, I really do think you could not have a civics course on – Affirmative action, just explaining both sides of the debate, and it has been a huge debate. I, I don't think that's true of all the laws, and there's always a possibility I'm misreading, but they're again, they're written so poorly that if you say, um, you know, you cannot under any circumstance teach sex stereotyping, which is the phrasing, well, I mean, what, what or race stereotyping, and I, I just, if they were written in a much clearer and tighter way, I might say, yeah, they don't do anything, who cares, it's a waste of time, but I'm. Um, I'm, I, I think oftentimes they're written so poorly they they could have a chilling effect on stuff we'd want taught. Well, I guess my response as a lawyer would be that if they're so poorly written, then they're kind of unenforceable. Whereas I guess I don't necessarily know what sex stereotyping would mean in the context of the law. I'd have to look yeah. at what conditions and terms are. But if you have a law that's so poorly written that it's unenforceable, I, I don't imagine that it would be enforced. I suppose it would have to be a thing that would be taken up to the courts, which – of course, no one wants to deal with a lawsuit. Well, that's the thing. It can, it can cause – that's what I mean by a chilling effect. Like what school system wants to go through a pointless lawsuit over an unenforceable law, it would make more sense to just refine your curricular material so you don't brush up against its fuzzy boundaries. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, I guess Wisconsin, I would be more concerned about that given that it's generally more of a swing state kind of thing. I just don't know – from the people who have told me that they haven't actually ever been taught about slavery in school – they're from areas like Mississippi, where I just don't know that CRT is really the kind of looming threat. I just feel <laughs> more like uh, yeah. it's politicians trying to score points. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you, Patrick. Those are those are definitely fair points. Uh, ben, what's up? Hey, thanks. So I listened to a conversation over the weekend between Chris Rufo, who's sort of the architect of this anti-CRT bill movement, and Andrew Sullivan. And um, he didn't quite convince Sullivan. Sullivan was sort of arguing for pluralism. Like, why not teach everything? Teach CRT, teach you know, non-CRT. And where Rufo landed, which I thought was kind of surprising for him, was, hey, look, I don't have a problem if Berkeley, California, or Brooklyn, New York has a CRT curricula, but just let me in my you know, more conservative district have an anti-CRT curricula or a non-CRT curricula. So I was curious what you think about that. Um, I mean, it's it's beyond my area of expertise. I obviously I I just have like an intuitively negative reaction to the idea of kids in different parts of the country being taught entirely different things. That's obviously already happening to a certain extent, and I um 
I remember the fights over creationism and intelligent design. Uh, I don't, I don't like the idea. Like we're already so sorted along ideology and partisan lines. I, I don't like the idea of like, oh, this district teaches the far right version of history. This district teaches the far left version. It's a silly thing for me to already even say because it's clearly happening. I mean, the uh, certain aspects of the ethnic studies fight in California have been overblown or distorted, but obviously, far left people have some influence in in creating state curricula curricula there and obviously in texas it's the opposite so i don't like it but i think we're we're already there so i guess in that sense i see where it's coming from yeah i'm with you on that and uh that perspective he rufo also mentioned that um he thinks there's this sort of asymmetry wherein the you know in the in the conservative districts the curricula sort of balances out or cashes out in a more sort of centrist kind of bland direction rather than sort of a jingoistic, um, uh, you know, super right wing direction. I don't know whether he's right or wrong about that. I could, I could see some reasons not to trust him on that, but that was just another thing that he mentioned. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Ben. Um, there's definitely at least outlying examples of really crazy stuff in, in Republican areas that, you know, really overlook slavery or, or distort, um, you know, just I think in the worst case is some lost cause bullshit. It's a big country, so you can't – I don't want to take outlying examples as, um, you know, representative, but I, I, I feel like he's wrong about that, but it's just not really my area. Anyway, Stephen, what's up? Uh, hey, Jesse, um, long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, and um, I, I, I guess Ben – brought this up right before I did, but I, I, I guess I just want to remind everyone that it's this whole thing sort of reminds people of, you know, of how lamentable it is that there are no, there are very few people with a conservative or libertarian view of how government ought to run. So like, you know, it's, it's, so for example, I'm a Republican, I voted for Hillary Clinton and, and Joe Biden, you know, but, but I'm, I'm like a traditional, I guess, pre-Trump Republican. And to me, like, this this should all be handled at the school district level. Like it's 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 ridiculous that that governors like Ron DeSantis or, or Rachel Hutchinson are like signing you know statewide rules for for uh, what what should or shouldn't be taught in schools when when we have a smaller but we, we have a smaller way of dealing with education. We have, we have school districts, and I I know that you know um, there are many people you know I guess traditionally people on the left who like don't care about that type of thing who are like yes let's make a national law about this or let's make a statewide law you know. Yeah. But it's there used to be a and, and I I heard you saying that you sort of um, didn't want there to be a lot of differences. But I mean, you're you're a progressive. You're 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 left of center, and so it's 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 sort of um, I'm less skeptical were, of of more government control. You're ba- you're yeah, ba- you're pointing, ba- I think you're pointing to a civil war among conservatives, which is that a lot of Republicans aren't in fact don't have that don't really have that small government libertarian impulse, except when it comes to liberals in charge. Yes, exactly. And I, I mean, I was born in 1993. I was, you know, when I when in 2015, 2016, when the, you know, when Rep- Trump was winning the Republican nomination, I was, um, before that, I was Pollyanna-ish. I, I, I naively thought that people who were right of center actually believed the principles I did about, you know, limited government, you know, if don't do on the state level what can be done locally, what do, don't do on the federal yeah. level what can be done on the state level. And that ho- totally red-pilled me and showed me that People who were, you know, the majority of Republic, quote unquote Republican, Republicans were quote unquote conservatives are really just anti-leftists. They don't have, you know, Edmund Burke values, if that makes sense. And it's frustrating to me because I actually like bought into and I still believe those things. 
like I still like Friedrich Hayek and Milton Friedman and Barry Goldwater and Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, and and um, I mean, I obviously have different politics than you, but I, I think that's sure. a more coherent belief system than what we see, which is, uh, I, I I did I so I mean because I was grew up as a liberal and always heard the worst things about conservatives, I didn't need to be red pilled in that way. I just remember <laughs> the odds, uh, conservatives eagerly seeking to pass a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage that would have prevented any state. These are the big states rights folks trying to ban any state from deciding to have gay marriage. So uh, to me, it's always been a little bit of a sham, but I understand within the conservative coalition, there are some folks who, you know, with, with good faith, consistent beliefs, but I just think the Republican party hasn't been that way for a long time. It probably, I mean, I think it maybe manifests itself most in things like free trade where sort of the average Republican voter in red America is probably skeptical of free trade and might have been harmed by it. Cause like, even if you think free trade is good, it has different impacts on different people, but then sort of the suit wearing Republicans in DC are often all about free trade. So I think there's been a lot of these conflicts all. Yeah, I think you're right. And, I, and I'll, I'll shut up soon, but, but I, I, I think in retrospect, I sort of should have seen the writing on the wall. Immigration is another thing. I'm very pro immigration. I'm a, I'm an Ashkenazi Jew whose great grandparents escaped pogroms and came to Pittsburgh and Queens. And like, if you're pro free trade, you should be pro free, you know, flow of labor. You should be, yeah. you know, but, but, but there's always been a xenophobic element on the right. And so I guess it's people who, you know, said they were pro free trade were, were um, inconsistent. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for the call, Stephen. All right, guys, I have another call. Uh, I got to get to soon, so I got to wrap up a little earlier than I usually would. But I thought this was a really good chat. A lot of people sort of pushing back in helpful ways, and thank you all for tuning in. As always, the thing you could do that would help me most is uh, tell other people about the show, get other people to follow me, sign up for Colin, and so on. Uh, I should have some good stuff coming up in February, and I will be back soon. Thank you guys so much.